0: Welcome to the studio, Lisa Black.
1: Good morning. Thank you. How are you? I'm awesome. It's a sunny day, so always happy on a sunny day.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to have a nice hot uh, stretch coming up for the next little bit, right? Do you see this to me? 37 degrees or something along those lines?
1: I'm good with that. I'm from California, so I am <laughs> solar powered.
0: Yeah, perfect. I mean, me too, but uh, I can't really deal with the... Specific, like the 40 degree temperatures that's when I really get jammed up I need that AC but anyway we're not here to talk about the weather even though it's a nice little segue um, here to talk about you and your property management and uh, Harcourt's rent in general so before we get started on that I want obviously you said that you grew up in California I want to get to know you a little bit better so where in California did you grow up when did you move here let's uh, get rolling on where you're from
1: yeah so you know the saying a thousand mile journey starts with the very first step well yeah <laughs> uh, there's a lot of steps in there uh, that lead me here um, yeah I was raised in California born and raised in Southern California so I spent my childhood in Long Beach and Newport Beach and uh, San Pedro all those areas um,
0: did you do much surfing when you were out there
1: Excuse me? Surfing?
0: Were you a surfer?
1: I was not. So what's interesting is I'm a on, near, around, by, over the water type girl, but I'm not an in the water type girl.
0: Yeah, I feel that too. I'm a, I am like the water, but I'm not a strong swimmer and everybody's tried to teach me, but I mean, I can do it, but my leg is kind of... Sink That's a little bit.
1: Exactly, yeah. I sink. <laughs>
0: yeah, I can keep my upper body up, but then my legs just kind of. That's I took
1: swimming lessons <laughs> before we went on. Uh, tell you about a two-year sailing trip we did. Um, no, I I know my limits around water. and yeah. <laughs> I'm best to stay out of it, especially
0: <laughs> the open ocean for me. But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you said a thousand-mile journey starts with small steps. So uh, what was the first step?
1: Well, I have lived in every major city in North America. So I've lived and worked in Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, New York. Lived in New York for 15 years, Uh, Toronto, Vancouver. So I've literally been all over North America.
0: What's your favorite city?
1: That's a tough one. Um, There are seasons in life, as they say, and I'd have to say... When I was younger and I was in San Francisco, I loved San Francisco, not too different from Vancouver, by the way, less rain. Um, But I I loved every place I've been. And I really have this attitude that when I'm somewhere, I want to make the best of it. I want to enjoy the reasons I'm there. And although work took us to New York. It's a fact we lived in Westchester County, just outside of, um, you know, the first county outside of the boroughs. Yeah. And loved it. So I like to try and be a tourist where I live because I've moved so much. I always have this feeling I'm, this may not be permanent. Right. So I have an urgency to really try and enjoy where I am.
0: So with, uh, Vancouver, what do you enjoy most out here? I know you guys are sailing and all that kind of stuff.
1: We're not sailing here. I will tell you that story. Um, Vancouver, we moved here. I can get into the thousand mile journey, um, (laughs) thousand step journey. Probably thousand miles. miles. Actually, those would be nautical miles, by the way. That means on the water.
0: That's like two something standard miles, right? Two point something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, A nautical (laughs) mile compared to a a standard mile. Yeah. So my husband and I developed a goal over 20 some years ago now um, that we wanted to do a big trip. um, And that was going to be sailing. So Uh, we started planning with the end goal and the name of our boat, by the way, is end game and in the financial market, if you're a goal setter, the end game is always, where do you want to end up? Um, so end game being the name of our boat, we started planning with the end goal being moving to Vancouver, which is where we came to retire, um, with my little finger quotations, retire, um, And as we started planning um, a trip, which is a sailing trip, and it it really just started with, as most big goals do, uh, is the smaller steps. So how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So we we didn't uh, start with the huge... Vision. It started with a smaller goal of we're going to get a boat and sail around Long Island Sound. Uh, so we started taking sailing lessons, and as with anything, once you start on a path, you can. St- your vision can get bigger once you accomplish the smaller steps. Your vision can get bigger. So uh, we took the sailing lessons. We uh, at the point to buy the boat, and so we thought, well, why not buy a boat that will the ocean maybe we'll do that someday so we bought the boat that would cross the ocean and because we had the boat that would cross the ocean um we spent seven years in sailing sailing long island sound um and in the meantime developed the bigger goal that we would uh, go sailing for two years with our two kids they were 10 and 13 when we left new york uh we left new york straight across the ocean, headed towards the Mediterranean.
0: Is that a common trip or is that like some completely wild outlandish goal?
1: No, it it's called cruisers uh, when you're sailing like that. And many people do it, um, you become much more aware of it as anything once you get involved in a particular yeah. situation, you find that there is a community of people that do it. Those people are called cruisers. Not everyone takes off directly from New York and goes straight across the ocean. Most people in that trip would go south first, maybe along the coast. Um, But we literally jumped right into the ocean, heading for the Azores Islands and then on to the Mediterranean. So the plan was to go to Turkey and back, which we did. So we left June 14th of 2014. Um, 18 days later, we arrived at the first island. first land we saw in 18 days was the Azores Island.
0: And that's fully across the Atlantic, right? No, that's only to the
1: Azores Islands. So if you look on a map, the Azores Islands are uh, slightly closer to the Mediterranean side, but they're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, okay. So that's 18 days from New York to the Azores Islands. Um, The actual photo that I have on my profile on Facebook is the group of four of us on the um, on the deck of the boat. And we're all ecstatic because that photo was taken when we saw land for the first time after being in the middle of the ocean for 18 days.
0: And you guys didn't get scurvy or anything like that? You, you brought it? Scurvy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's only 18 days. Uh, no, but we did buy a boat, as I said, an ocean going boat. And one of the reasons for that boat is it has huge amount of storage. So we literally took enough food, not that we didn't buy fresh food along the way, <laughs> We literally took enough food that when we came back two years later, we still had some canned goods on the boat. Oh. But yeah, so we hit the Azores after uh, 18 days, uh, spent some time there, loved all of all of us in the family would say the Azores was probably um, our favorite stop. I'm not sure if it was because after 18 days in the ocean. Yeah. Um but it really is uh, amazing. And then from there, it was it's 10 more days from the Azores Islands to Portugal, which is the tip of entering the Mediterranean.
0: And the Azores Islands, are those owned by another country or is that? Uh, by Portugal. By Portugal. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So... We went all along the coast um, and, and a lot of people say, well, how can you spend two years on a boat? You have to imagine the boat is just your transportation. So for us, we saw 72 islands on that wow. trip. So the boat, it was the means of getting from one place to another.
0: Yeah. How big was the boat? Uh,
1: 42, 42 okay.
0: feet. And you still have that boat, right? That's.
1: We still have that boat. So when we came back after two years, uh, we landed in Florida. And that was five years ago. And the boat is still in Florida.
0: Did you guys intend to land in Florida or did you kind of just miss a little bit?
1: No, no, (laughs) it it was always the intent to uh, land in Florida. Um, And then we did, then we drove up to New York, finished selling our house, packing up two 40 foot container loads of stuff. We moved from New York uh, to uh, Vancouver and then we did a road trip uh, from New York uh, driving out to
0: Vancouver. Which way did you guys go?
1: Uh, Mostly through the States because we did some sightseeing, some land sightseeing along the way there.
0: Awesome. So what, um, what was your career at that point? What were you doing? What was, what was your role? Your job?
1: Well, when we left New York, um, I so I'll give you a little bit of background, and and the reason is because I, I believe I've it's what makes me particularly um, good at communicating and helping people uh find their direction and then helping them meet their goals.
0: Yeah. We had uh, Nina on the podcast a couple episodes ago and she was, I think, a flight flight attendant and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So it just totally leads right into property management. So I
1: exactly I'm
0: interested to see what you what your background is.
1: Yeah, well literally I've been an entrepreneur for thirty-two years and I um, started out, uh, in a job, realized really quickly that I was not an office or desk person. And fortunately the company I was working for at that time, that was in San Pedro, California. And I was in the shipping business, the big cargo ships, uh, worked okay. for, uh, and navigation, which does the trade from Hawaii, uh, uh to, to New York. Um, And I, and fortunately, uh, the people I worked for realized I was much better in customer service than I was on a desk. Um, So after a time in customer service, they asked me to go into sales. Uh, Sadly, I was just kind of put out there, like you mentioned on the podcast, you get out of school to become a realtor, and then you're just kind of left on your own. Yeah, more or less, that's how I entered being a salesperson. So uh, I basically self-educated I'm a product of the 80s. I did every seminar, uh, Anthony Robbins, I and uh, Dale Carnegie. Uh, I did so many seminars. I actually started working and facilitating uh, for Dale Carnegie seminars. Oh, wow. um, I facilitated uh, priority management seminars. Um, it, so, yeah, I, I became a salesperson. Uh, through my own uh, ability to seek out uh, ways that could help me grow as a person and as a salesperson. So that started in the shipping business. Um, That led me to doing all the seminars where I started facilitating. And and that means when you facilitate a seminar, you have to build the seminar. You have to enroll the people. Uh, So
0: you're basically just paying the... Dale Carnegie or Tony Robbins or whoever to come and speak and you're setting up no, 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 I whole? was facilitating.
1: So I went to Anthony Robbins seminars. Uh, I went to Brian Tracy seminars. I went to Dale Carnegie seminars. I did not facilitate Anthony Robbins. Only he does that. Okay. Uh, but because I did so many of them, um, I started facilitating uh, Dale Carnegie. I worked uh, for the Dale Carnegie franchise oh, Okay, um, I see. facilitating their seminars
0: Right. Because now I I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of the guys also have these kinds of speech speeches or events and all that kind of stuff to do. And they say they just get hired out and, and they come in. Is it I guess it's not the same. Back then they, they'd have their own whole like rolling show kind of thing. Is that what you're.
1: Well, if you were someone like a, an Anthony Robbins or yeah. in, in the that day, Brian Tracy. So Brian Tracy, I went to seminars and then I worked his seminars. But Dale Carnegie is a franchise um, similar to Harcourt's being right. a franchise. So there was an owner at that time. I was in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and so I sought out the owner of the franchise for Dale Carnegie. And because I was able to bring in the business, which is what I feel I'm very good at. I'm uh, very good at networking, boots on the ground, meeting people and you know, making the sale, so to speak, on whatever it is, whether it's attending a Dale Carnegie seminar or whether it, you're an owner that has a property you want to rent. And I can show you how my service can provide your needs.
0: Or bring a tenant in.
1: Or tenant. Sell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We, we can get the best tenants because we have the systems in place to do that. Uh, but just to wrap up the, the background, uh, because what I feel my background shows is not just my ability for customer service, which is um, I have a very high level of expectations on customer service. My New York attitude helps in that as well. Uh, but also just the ability to think out of the box, to try different things, to um, create and i like to say i see possibilities where they weren't seen before that that's really my goal is to try and think out of the box and be creative and find solutions. Uh, So I worked in uh, NBC television, lived in Chicago, uh, worked with NBC television there. Um, And then in New York, to get back to your question, uh, before we left New York, I was actually uh, acting. I was directing and performing in uh, children's theater.
0: Uh, Sometimes live live theater kind of thing, like uh, theater. Oh, cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes with up to 90 kids, and I don't know if you know much about the movie business, but they say you never work with nothing. kids or animals. <laughs> <laughs> and I would work with 90 kids at a time.
0: And are they harsher critics or what's the what's the whole feel? What's the vibe there with kids?
1: Actually, they can be really fun. You know, this was at a theater camp in New York. Um, so, yeah, I yeah, I'd like to take their input. Um No, I I think working with kids can be a lot of fun. It's challenging, but you know, people are people. But I did learn that you can make just about anything out of a sheet in a box.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So from there, what's what was your next move? Was that that was getting on the boat, and then you came back? Yes, I I guess you weren't acting on the boat. I would assume there was no acting going on on the boat. You're just there was no acting (laughs) going on
1: on the boat. As a matter of fact, the leisure pictures that you see of cruisers, actually a friend of ours that we met, um, in one of the Greek islands, uh, they live in California and they had posted a boat of the husband relaxing in the dinghy. You know what the dinghy is? Yep. The dinghy is the little boat that you trails behind your boat, your big boat. Um, and her caption was, yeah, this is the two minutes of relaxing in between all the other work that goes on it, yeah the relaxing part is not so much what you do when you're cruising like that when you're cruising <clears throat> yeah. constantly for two years
0: my parents just got a 30 foot um 32 foot cruiser a like cabin cruiser motorboat of course yeah and I was always the driver I was a captain so to so speak and it's the most stressful thing especially for me because that's the boat I learned on uh-huh. And I had to pull it out of a marina. I, I, go, I go into it with uh, with Brad on the last podcast. Made me hate boating. It made you
1: hate boating.
0: Yeah. Not <laughs> hate it as in like I, I don't want to be on the ocean, but like, I don't want to be in charge of this big boat and everybody on it and the seaplanes with their wings that you can easily hit. And I also don't trust it because the, uh, we've dropped anchor before and the boat kind of dragged the anchor so it, it wake up in the middle stick. of the night. It's yeah. just, it's so stressful for me. It's not really relaxing. And yeah. it's not like I'm a super passionate boat guy. So I totally see what you what you mean. Yeah. I can't imagine going across the, across the open ocean. This was yeah. like, you know, bay. Yeah
1: i i hear that a lot from kids uh as a matter of fact my husband grew up with his dad sailing and it turned him off for as well because his his dad was very harsh on them but a sailboat's very different there there's even more complications
0: yeah Um, i imagine
1: but i've got a great story about a boat dragging we were in simi um an island and we were anchored and we went off to go do some sightseeing with some friends of ours Uh, kids. So the adults stayed on their boat that was anchored near our boat and their kids went with us and we went off on the island to go sightseeing. And, um, we had been told that this anchorage was known for boats dragging. So it's called dragging when you're anchored, you know, it was just too
0: sandy or something like that. Are the people bring the wrong anchors or what's usually the problem? No,
1: sometimes it's just, yeah, sometimes it's sandy. Sometimes, I mean, yeah, it's, there's different reasons why it drags, but basically the bottom line is the anchor doesn't stick, right? So we're off site seeing a couple hours later, we come back and we come over the mountain and uh, my daughter was the first one to see. She's like, where's our boat? Our boat wasn't, where we left it. So we get to the end of the dock and there's our boat up against a dock between two other boats where we didn't leave it. Our boat dragged. While we were off, thank God our friends were on their boat. They saw it. They got in their dinghy, but there wasn't much they could do. But this was a small little island, a bunch of fishermen around. They all got on their boats. They went out there. They got on our boat, got it going, and got it over and maneuvered it. And a 42-foot sailboat is is. Not huge, but it's not a small boat.
0: Definitely a lot to maneuver. Aye? Yeah,
1: yeah, it, and they maneuvered it between these other two sailboats. I mean, it, it was just crazy that, wow. that, that that our journey could have ended that day.
0: <laughs> so, when it dragged, did it drag quickly, and like it would have smashed all up, or was it like a slow kind of
1: Well, we weren't there, crank? but oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it. it I mean, if they hadn't have seen it, if there hadn't have been people right there with boats that could have gotten to it, uh, you know, but yeah, it was drifting. The sails are down because we were
0: anchored. Yeah. Yeah. We can probably talk about boats all day, but let's, we could. let's switch to property management. So what got you into <laughs> uh, into that other than, of course, your background totally just guided you in that direction. But uh, what really made you think, okay, property management is where I want to go?
1: Yeah. So it hadn't occurred to me, by the way. So in all of our travels, when uh, we moved to Chicago, uh, we had a house in outside of Toronto. We rented our house uh, furnished, without a property management company. Didn't really know much about it at the time. Uh, rented it to a friend. Came back uh, from that trip two years later to damage on the property, and some things have been stolen. So then when it came time to leave New York, we rented out our family home in New York, this time with a property management company. Mm -hmm. And again, that's why we were smiling in the middle of the ocean because we knew everything was taken care of. We were not reachable on that trip and we knew there had to be someone there to take care of the house and the tenants. So that was all fine and well. Then we um, get to, so we're in the middle of the Caribbean island trying to find a place to live here in Vancouver. This is uh, 2017. The markets were crazy. Rentals, there weren't many rentals available. We needed a four bedroom home. and we needed an address to get our kids in school. So okay, right. no one needed to talk to us. We weren't here. They had plenty of tenants for their properties. So no one was responding. So finally, a property manager responds to our request to see a property in Eagle Harbor. So we basically take it sight unseen, except for what we saw on the Craigslist photos, right? Um, we get here after two years on the water and needing a place to settle down into- Need some
0: solid ground. What's that? You need some solid ground.
1: We needed a solid ground. We, we were finished traveling for a while. And not only that, becoming renters for the first time, like 30 some years, we had been homeowners. And when we arrived at the home, I was uh, disappointed is one word, but I was uh, more shocked that someone, an owner, was paying someone to look after the property for the condition that it was in. It, it just wasn't kept in its, you know, best state. Yeah. And being the entrepreneur that I am, as you can tell from my many different things that I've done in my background, and coming here to semi-retire, um, I thought it wouldn't take much. To provide a better experience and having been um, an owner and a tenant and then we purchased our own uh, condo downtown so even in the vancouver marketplace i was a tenant and an owner i could really see it from both sides i met nina Knudsen, um, who's the director of harcourt's rent uh, about three years ago and it's one of the things that have, have, I've done all through my life and it's taken me in different directions. It was through networking. I, I decided I'll become a property manager. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anyone. I would only been here a couple of weeks. Uh, but through talking about that idea, I met what happened to be a friend of Nina's she says oh i know someone who's a property manager nina was with a different company at that time she introduced me uh, and i've basically been tagging along with nina ever since i got my property management license started with her with a different company and she has had this vision for a long time of um, developing a property management company with independent contractors and The vision is to provide a better property management experience, which was exactly why I got into it. So when you talk about find where you belong, when Harcourt's came along for Nina and I both, but it really completely fit uh, the vision of how I saw that I could fit into the world of property management.
0: So you mentioned that it's individual contractors, what's the alternative like what's is there like a not not proper not contractors type of thing yeah, like for so, their employees and they just don't care or how does that
1: yeah absolutely. Not that they don't care
0: because of employees but
1: no but property management uh, has changed one it's grown dramatically just in the five years I've been here certainly in the ten plus years Nina has been doing it most property management companies are employer employee situation Um, and many of them, and I, and I did, I got my feet wet in one of the bigger, great companies. Um, and I learned a lot about property management there, but being the entrepreneur that I am, um, it's just, I feel I provide the, my best service when I can make my own decisions and that that's what I feel makes, um, courts uh, as being independent contractors, much like a realtor, uh, we can be uh, that really full service property manager for the owner uh, to provide exactly what they need. We're, we're not trying to cookie cut and say, we're telling you what you need. We've actually developed our five diamond marketing plans Um so that we can meet uh, an owner exactly where their needs are and provide that better property management experience.
0: Is there like a threshold like that you need to kind of meet before a property manager makes sense? If you have like one property, does it make sense to get a property manager? Or is it like you need to have multiple properties?
1: From the owner's perspective? From the owner's
0: perspective, yeah.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Most of my owners are just own one property. I, okay. I do have some owners that have multiple properties. But yeah, of course, it's property management, uh, because of the rules and regulations that have really been developed and evolved over the last you know five years or so, um, it's very difficult to do on your own at, and protect yourself. So the residential tenancy branch has brought in a lot of Rules and regulations to protect the tenant, which was needed Mm -hmm. and is great and fair. Um, Really, how an owner protects themselves is through having a licensed property manager, because there's much more to. I just advertise and get a tenant, and I collect the rent. Uh, You know, it's there's nuances that as a property manager we are trained. Licensed, And we have to take continual training to stay up on the latest rules and regulations. So you can't just evict a tenant for any reasons. There's very specific reasons. If you don't do things exactly by the rules and regulations, you're going to pay huge consequences, sometimes up to a year. A years worth of rent if you don't give the proper notice wow. on a certain situation. So uh, if you miss a deadline, like a 10-day notice and you don't do it exactly 10 days, you know, so there, there's a lot of nuances that we as property managers know and can protect the owner. In the end, having, and it's been proven, um, having a licensed property manager uh, manage your property, you actually save money and make more money through deductions. Our fees themselves pay for themselves uh, through deductions. You can claim your maintenance and repair, of course. Uh, You can claim uh, the property management fees. Uh, But beyond that, through our tenant placement and the technology that Harcourts has in place, unlike any other uh, property management service that we know of, uh, we have systems in place to not just get a tenant, but the best quality right tenant. That also helps you not have downtime when it's turnover to get another tenant, Um, not have downtime having to do maintenance and repairs when it's time to get another tenant. So most owners, once they've tried a property management service, even if it's just through the tenant placement aspect, uh, realize that they actually, you know, the fees pay for themselves and they get a better rate for their property.
0: Does it make sense? So I'm I'm living in a basement suite right now. Um, obviously the owner doesn't have property management service, so anytime something goes wrong, I call him uh, middle of the night, you know, if there's a flood or something like that. He's yep. he's got to call. Is do you guys do you deal with any sort of basement suites where the owner lives upstairs or is that kind of under the threshold of
1: no that's actually interesting and and of course we as independent contractors or you you can you can decide what properties you want to take on but it's interesting you bring that one up because i i have designated myself the uh sweet s-w-e-e-t sweet (laughs) sweet specialist uh because i have a number of suites basement suites garden suites that i manage and and that's just a niche that i developed in working with owners because at you, it, you currently live in a basement space. Yeah. Yeah. So you understand that there can be that awkwardness when you live in that close proximity to someone yeah, else. A little bit, yeah. Can be a little bit of awkwardness. Definitely if,
0: if you know, if, if heads start to butt, I'm sure that could get bad, but luckily I have a good relationship with him and he's a good guy, but I see where I see where you're going with it. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Many owners and tenants um, appreciate and have been in that situation, particularly from the owner's perspective. Um, And so I I have developed a um, niche where I actually manage a number of suites uh, in the greater Vancouver area, um, because it gives the owner that, it, it takes away that awkwardness that can occur because there should be inspections, just like any other property. You know, there should be routine inspections. You've got to collect the rent. Uh, you're getting those calls in the middle of the night. A lot of owners don't want to deal with that. They, as I say to them, you get to stay the good guy. You have the relationship with the tenant. And if there's any bad guy involved, that's me. You know, I call, I set up those routine inspections. I tell them why they need to be done. And I, uh, I'll be the first point of contact for maintenance and repair, but then the owner, because they live there, you know, they, they take care of those yeah. issues, but it, it just takes that. Burden off of them
0: how do you grow your network and really build your business
1: yeah very good question and i think that's why you know a lot of people are afraid of the independent contractor idea um i am a natural networker from my years of experience and like i said being a product of the 80s uh i i've had many of those days of setting up the phone making, you know, how many phone calls did you make today? How many phone calls do you have to make today to turn into business tomorrow? Keeping the hopper full, you know, all of that. Um, I've actually been doing it so long. I don't even think about it anymore. And it, I think it's, it's just a part of my, my nature now. Uh, and I am a people person. I, I, everything that I've done has been service oriented as people, people person. So I talk. I I just talk to people. I say hi to people. I start start conversations with people, and I'm always amazed that almost anyone you talk to, you find something in common with fairly quickly. Uh, So, so that's part of it. You know, just that being willing to be out there talking with people. Uh, but being networking is more professional than that as well. So th- there's actually networking groups. Uh, and I, I belong to one, uh, a professional networking group. Uh, it's been instrumental in, you know, one, uh, me learning more about the greater Vancouver area because I've only been here five years. I didn't have a, a friends and family pool to to build from, Um, the, the motivation that you get from it, just the, you know, weekly get togethers. I actually, in my younger day, when I was uh, facilitating seminars, I started a group called success actualization team, which was exactly like some of these networking groups today, where you would meet weekly and have goals in mind and discuss them. And it just gives you that support network to help keep you focused. Um, but yeah in uh some of the bigger networking groups there's uh different people that you can meet that are also helping to refer business to you you refer to them they refer to you and and that's the to me that's really the good old-fashioned way it's like the handshake it's the good old-fashioned way of building business and if you get a referral if someone knows the person Uh, that they've connected you with, turning that into business is, you know, 80% more likely to happen. There's that trust factor already involved there. I would much rather go that route than, you know, beating the tile, so to speak. Uh, So uh, and a lot of my business has come from just my ability to network.
0: Who else do you meet in those groups? Like, are they plumbers? Are they Accountants, what kind of services generally?
1: That is a great question. I actually joined a a local group for the benefit to me of um, being able to provide better and full service to my owners. So, yes, plumbers, cleaners, handymen. That's really why I joined. I didn't join with the intent of it because it's kind of like the realtor seat. You're not going to get, you know leads from it every week or every month even you know that may be very minimal in fact but for me it was more um having that network of people that i can offer a higher level of service to my owners knowing that i have trusted licensed um trades and service people that i can call on and they'll put me at their the top of their list so all of the business that that um i need to help me build my business for my owner to take care of their property, comes through my networking.
0: What's the biggest kind of mistake that homeowners make when they're renting out their properties?
1: Uh, Well, you often hear, we as property managers often hear, they were a great tenant. I didn't hear from them for six years. I have one owner. uh, I now have worked with her on four of her properties. She never tells me how many. Just every now and then she'll call me and say, Lisa, I've got another property. And now (laughs) it's at four properties. Uh, And and the first one came from, uh, she got a property back after six years. She owns a number. She manages them herself. I do the placement for her now. Um, Because when she called me in that time, after six years, hadn't heard from the tenant, great tenant, always paid. I said, Yes, but Miss Owner, you've got your property back after six years, and now you've had to put $10,000 into, you know, getting it back up to rentable standards, and we've lost a month in rent. So if that property had been managed, or at least the tenant placement service that I'm providing for her, because she has now realized that I get her a better quality tenant uh, because of the, the... the programs that Harcourts has in place to assist us in doing that. So I bring her very high quality tenants uh, and she doesn't have downtime anymore. One thing I say to all of my owners is one is I'm passionate about taking care of your property. As a matter of fact, my tagline is I manage your property as if it were my own. And I mean that because I've had my own properties that were managed. Um, So I'm passionate about taking care of your property. And the way that I can do that for you is by getting you a high quality tenant. So if you want a high quality tenant, you have to provide a quality product. So if your rental is just a rental to you and you're not really interested in investing in it, then you're not going to get the market value for your property. My last example will be a great penthouse that I just took over um, downtown similar situation the owner had been renting it on their own brought me in to do the tenant placement we could not get that, that penthouse should be getting about thirty one hundred dollars a month can't get that right now because of the condition of the property and the way the tenants were living in the property so when you're showing a property that is really dirty and not lived in well and hasn't been maintained for a number of years, you can't get that $3,100 a month tenant. So we lost about $200 a month. I said, but if you trust me, over this the year of this tenancy, if we work together, we'll get your property back up to market value. And next time it's ready to be tenanted or you're ready to sell it, then it's gonna be at its highest market value. And that's my goal to keep your property at its highest market value, whether it's re-renting or you're selling.
0: So if people want to reach out to you, how can they do so? What's the best way, email, phone?
1: Uh, Mm. Email lisa.black. I have a simple name, lisa.black at harcourts.net. Yeah, email's great. Uh, You can also Google Harcourts. Um, You can find Harcourts Rent that way. And as I like to say, I'm Lisa Black, Harcourt's Property Management. Call me for your free property evaluation where I'll manage your property as if it were my own.